Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from Grace Anglican Church of Grove City, Pennsylvania. Our goal in every sermon is to proclaim the bold truth of the Word of God, especially the undiluted grace of Jesus Christ. If you want to learn more about our church, check out our website at graceanglicanonline.com. They're usually not planned. They're not coordinated. They're not organized or anticipated or expected. They, they just sort of show up on us and happen to us as if we are only bit actors in the event itself. And I've had a couple of these moments in my life, like the time I was accepted into college. I had applied to a number of schools, and I had no idea if I was going to get into any of them in the first place. I wasn't sure where I would attend, and I was terrified to open the letter that came. I was anxiously awaiting and hoping that it would say congratulations. And upon acceptance, I knew things had significantly changed. Or like the time that Sarah suggested we get married. (laughs) It's true. It set a bomb off in my head and in my heart, and I casually responded with, Sounds good. (laughs) Took me a little while to get up to speed. A similar thing happened to me when she announced we were pregnant. And when I received the phone call that I was the recipient of my first college teaching job, same thing. This important moment, to be quite honest with you, that, that happened again when I received the phone call that I was offered a position here at Grove City College. It also occurred when we were told by my father-in-law that he was dying of cancer. They're not always events that bring joy, but they are profound moments. I'm certain that each one of you, as you're spending just a few seconds thinking about those key moments in your lives, are able to run through those events. Right? They come to you pretty quickly because they're so significant. The scripture seems to suggest that there are a couple of moments like these as well, at least the one we've looked at here today. Similar to these moments in our lives, there seems to be a timelessness to them. After John was arrested, Jesus begins his ministry saying, the time is fulfilled. So today I want to consider three things related to the gospel passage. That's where we'll spend our time this evening primarily. First, the moment. What is the moment that the gospel uh, author puts us into? Second, I want to consider what Jesus is proclaiming in that moment, his message. And finally, in the implications of that message, what does it bring about with regard to action? That is, what is the motion that occurs? So in order to be a good preacher, I'm winking at Ethan here. Uh, I ought to be alliterative in my outline. Here it is from the gospel. We'll examine the moment, the message, and the movement. Let me start with the moment. So I've already noted the importance of these key times in our lives. When we realize the significant events are, are, are occurring, right? It seems to be the case for the author of this gospel. 
Uh, Mark begins his story with Jesus, uh, this story of Jesus. He begins his gospel without the normal introductory material that the other gospels have. He jumps right into the story with John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus. And then he spends a little bit of time after a comment about the baptism of Jesus, talking about the temptations of Jesus. By the time we get to verse verse 14, we are in this key thing. And Mark doesn't spend much time wandering around because time is an important aspect of the gospel of Mark. He doesn't waste any of it. He writes with an urgency and he draws the reader into the story and moves us into action. The first verse 14 begins this way. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And the word now, as he begins, is a time marker. It makes a statement about the order of things. And in this case, it notes what happens after John has been arrested. That is, Jesus begins his ministry. So even Jesus understood the importance of this moment because his initial proclamation states the time is fulfilled. But what time is Jesus referring to? Mark suggests that God has restrained Jesus from acting because John is still actively involved in his ministry. And so now that John has been arrested, then and only then can Jesus begin his work. John's role was to pave the way for the Messiah, to set the tone, to warn people of the coming judgment, to baptize the people who confess their sins, and to ready the people to hear and obey God. Mark notes that the time has come, and therefore John is not needed and moved off of the scene. He's moved out of the way. John stands, though, at the end of a long line of Old Testament prophets. In fact, that that line of Old Testament prophets is 750 years long. This is significant. And the last of the prophets finally has come. And he said what was needed to prepare the world for Jesus's testimony about God. John's arrest indicates that the time has come for Jesus to act. So Jesus enters Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Now, let me just pause for a second and say, what is the gospel? It's important to understand this is a, an important word. that We, we um, label the four gospels after this idea. The gospel in Greek is euangelion. It, it simply means statement of victory, right? It's good news. So in Old Testament times, when two um, armies would conflict and they would come against one another and, and the battle lines would be drawn in the morning and they would begin the battle throughout the day. Eventually, one army would lose and the other was the victorious army and they would send somebody from their army home to run back to their city with the good news. What was the good news? It was, we won, right? We won the battle. We defeated the enemy. That's the same language that's used here and that's what Jesus is about. He's coming to proclaim the gospel of God. What is it specifically though he, that he proclaims? What is Jesus's message? Well, you have to look at verse 15 because Mark outlines the answer for us in verse 15. And there are three parts to the gospel of God as it's outlined in verse 15. They're given in summary. 
of Jesus's proclamation. It reads this, that Jesus says, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. One commentator says, each element clarifies God's decisive action in sending his son at the particular moment in history. So first, let's look at the time is fulfilled. Jesus understands that his life and this particular moment in history has a long beginning that started long before what he was doing. And as a result, Jesus' emphasis on the fullness of time grounds his proclamation in the history of revelation and redemption. It focuses attention upon God who acts, whose past election and redemption of Israel provided the pledge of his activity in the future. You'll remember that God has made covenant promises to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. These are, these are the heroes and the patriarchs of the faith from long ago. And those promises are now in Jesus coming to fruition with him. And so Jesus declares that the critical moment has come. God begins to act in a new and a decisive way, bringing the promise of ultimate redemption to the point of fulfillment. By sovereign design, God makes this point in time the significant and awesome moment. That one which the promise of fulfillment from the Old Testament is starting to take place in the present. Second, Jesus states in verse 15 that the kingdom of God is at hand. So what is the kingdom of God? Well, it's important for us to understand that it's the rule and reign of God in redemptive history. It's God's sovereign authority in the world. And it belongs to God who comes and invades history in order to secure man's redemption. Sometimes we get caught up in that idea or the word of kingdom. We misunderstand what is in view in the New Testament. It's not a political kingdom. Uh, We've just recently come out of a series of months in which there's been a really difficult cultural battle. And it kind of seems like it's been a kingdom battle, to be quite honest. But that's not what's in view here for Mark. It's the right or authority to rule. The kingdom of God here is its royal power, its kingship, and its dominion. God's kingdom, therefore, begins when Jesus arrives and starts his ministry work. And so as a result, Jesus can say that the kingdom is near because his presence is near and his redemptive work has started. Jesus is the decisive event in the redemptive plan of God. And the coming kingdom, though it remains a future event, it is certain precisely because God has begun to bring it to pass in the arrival of his son, Jesus. A little bit later in the gospel, uh, Mark chapter 13, Jesus tells a series of parables. But in one of those particular parables in, in chapter 13, it's the parable of the fig tree. And he warns of the nearness of the kingdom of God. And he says, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. And translated another way, that summer is the next thing to come. I I can't wait for that. 
right? It's 17 degrees and blowing snow today. I'm looking forward to the summer coming. But the idea in that parable is that the kingdom is near. In other words, it's the next thing that happens. So in the person of Jesus, men and women are confronted by the kingdom of God in its nearness. And a faithful response to the proclamation of the gospel is imperative. It is repent and believe the gospel. This is the third aspect of the gospel of God. Repent and believe. It's not really a new idea. We're familiar with the prophets and John the Baptist who utter these words. Here, though, it's a fresh reminder that this moment has a special note of urgency to it. The time is fulfilled because the kingdom of God is at hand. The nature of the gospel is not clear because Jesus is the gospel. His life demonstrates the work that is being done by God to redeem the world. And the remainder of Mark's uh, gospel describes Jesus' march to Jerusalem to be given as a sacrifice to God to pay the ultimate penalty for the sins of the world. So Jesus' action in confronting Satan and sin, disease and death, and subduing nature is the sign that the end is the next act of God in our future. Provision has been made for men and women, for children, for adolescents to repent. But there's no time for delay. Only through repentance can someone participate in the joy of the kingdom when it arrives. Jesus therefore calls people into radical decision. In him, people are confronted by the word and act of God because he is the crucial factor by which belief and unbelief are decided. Jesus proclaims the kingdom in this passage not to give content, but to convey summons. He stands as God's final word of address to humanity in the final hour. For Jesus, this decision is an either-or decision. One either repents and believes following God, or one does not. And in choosing not to follow God, one is choosing the world and its desires. So this decision... Uh, Jesus, in the decision, Jesus announces that there is no postponement. Repentance is all about this moment. Will you allow God's grace to break in and change, indeed transform you from one thing to another? That's the idea of repentance. The Greek word that's used there is metanoia. It's, it's used for repentance because it implies a change in form, like a caterpillar that becomes a butterfly. Repentance implies change in character, not only change in thought or change in action. As the idea is that one is walking a particular way and pursuing a specific thing and comes to realize that that's the wrong thing for us because we understand it's sinful. And we, instead of continuing walking in this way, we turn our backs on that 180 degrees. And now we repent of that thing and we begin to walk towards what is true and right. We begin to walk into relationship fully with God. So I've com uh, commented on the moment in time and the message of the gospel 
Now I need to say a few words about the implications of these two as a motion. As a result of the time we are in, awaiting the consummation of the kingdom of God, we have a decision to make. We're, we're in between these moments. We, we read the Gospels and we read the stories about the life of Jesus and his death and sacrifice and resurrection and ascension and the early church being given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we're part of that uh, church that's given that gift. And yet we're still waiting for the consummation. The decision is, what will you do with the time that you have? What will you do with the knowledge that time is running out before Jesus returns and brings his kingdom? The motion of Jesus from heaven to earth contains, I think, a similar response or motion for us as well. I think those who hear this call and repent of our sins and turn and walk with God are to, like Jesus, go into the world and proclaim the gospel of God. Jesus invites us to do as much. The calling of Peter and Andrew and the other disciples calls us to participate in his proclaiming work. Jesus calls and says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. This call implies a relationship of discipleship where Jesus will walk with his followers, explaining all that's necessary for his work to continue in them. The passage even suggests that Jesus will accomplish this work in them. That is, he says, I will make you fishers of men. Jesus will make us able to do this work. We don't have to rest on our own knowledge or our own understanding or count on our our talents and abilities. We We can rest in the certainty that God is going to do this work in us. He's going to create us to be fishers of men. Right? This passage, oftentimes what we hear is a, a real cute play on words. And, and it's there. Right? Peter and Andrew are fishermen. And so Jesus shows up and he invites them to up their game. You're not going to catch fish anymore. You're going to catch men. Right? Like, this motivating factor, right? And, and it is. But I think to see it only this way doesn't recognize the Old Testament significance. For it has a focused attention on God's eschatological act of sending Jesus. See, in the Old Testament prophetic tradition, it's God who is the fisher of men. And in each Old Testament passage where this idea is presented, there is an ominous tone which stresses divine judgment. For example, in Ezekiel chapter 29, starting in verse 4, Ezekiel is told to prophesy about Egypt. He says, I will put hooks in your jaws, and I will make the fish of your streams stick to your scales, and I will draw you up out of the midst of your streams with all the fish of your streams that stick to your scales, and I will cast you out into the wilderness You and all the fish of your streams, you shall fall on the open field and not be brought together or gathered. Likewise, Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 14 and following suggests that humankind is like the fish of the sea with no ruler. And it will be God who collects them for his own purposes. 
the summons here to be fishers of men is a call to the eschatological task of gathering people to God in view of the forthcoming judgment of God when the kingdom finally arrives. So it's not difficult to see why repentance and belief are necessary because there is no more time. Furthermore, fishing is the evidence of the fulfillment which Jesus has proclaimed. That is, as God's people hear the call of Jesus and follow him and fish for others, we demonstrate that the kingdom of God is near, that the name, the time is fulfilled, that the kingdom is at hand, and there is no more time. The disciples, whether they understood these Old Testament illustrations or not, are profoundly transformed by the invitation that Jesus extends to them. For them... It's a significant moment, like I described earlier. I don't know, perhaps they simply saw a young rabbi looking for disciples and knowing that they hadn't made the cut in school when they were kids. They jump at the chance to chase and follow the rabbi, right? This up-and-coming young rabbi who's making a name for himself. Perhaps they wanted to be seen as important because they were walking with him and following Jesus. Perhaps they were just tired of stinky fish and didn't want to live that life anymore. Either way, they heard Jesus invite them into something with everlasting implications. They jumped at the chance to walk with him. After all, they heard him proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. I think at least they understood that this was the eschatological Lord who was calling them. He was summoning them by an act of grace to serve as agents of the kingdom that was drawn near. I think they understood too that as he called them into relationship and ministry, he also promised that he would make them into fishers of men. And with this, they knew what he would do. What they would become depended upon their following him. Let me tell you a personal story in closing that I think captures these three themes in my own life. When I was between my freshman and sophomore years in college, um, that spring semester, I spent the semester working to find an internship I was particularly curious about interning in the medical field. I thought I was headed to medical school and I was going to end up being a doctor. And so immediately after my first year, I was in pursuit of finding a position that would open the door for me to get involved in that way. One internship after another closed on me. And I finally found myself from a suggestion from a friend at Honey Rock Camp in northern Wisconsin. I spent the summer there. Um, And I spent my time there at Honey Rock in training to lead um, middle school and high school students in wilderness training. So I was studying uh, wilderness leadership skills. Uh, For me, I ended up leading uh, 12-day wilderness trips, somewhat similar to Outward Bound. In the middle of one of my trips that summer, I was leading eight middle school boys And we were hiking along the North Country Trail, which actually cuts through not far from here. 
And we were hiking this particular day on the most beautiful day you could imagine. It was 75 degrees. The breeze was blowing nicely. There were a few puffy clouds floating along. And we were hiking the North Country Trail on this beautiful um, plateau, this meadow. I mean, it was, it was gorgeous. And six of the eight boys that were on the trip with me were carrying their backpacks and they were hopping along down the trail like they were a pack of hobbits, enjoying the best of God's creation. The other two guys, however, were hiking along behind them about 25 yards with their heads buried, staring at their shoes. And they were crying and they were exhausted in grief because mom, a few days earlier, their mothers, they were not brothers, their mothers had dropped them off at the beginning of the 12-day trip. And their fathers were picking them up at the end of the 12-day trip. And they understood the brokenness of their families and how difficult it was for them. They didn't see the beauty of the day. This was the only possibility for mom and dad to be even in conversation with each other. That was the closest they would get it again. And they knew that they were in this awful, crushing reality. They, they were broken and discouraged. My co-leader and I were walking behind these guys about 25 yards and we watched the whole scene play out in front of us. And our hearts were broken for these guys too. They could barely look up to see where they were going. They just kind of followed along because they heard the guys in front of them laughing and telling stories. And in that moment, whether it was audible or an internal voice, I cannot tell you. The Lord spoke to my heart and he called me into ministry. And he asked me to fish with young people and point them to the freedom that I knew I had in Jesus. For me, it was a significant moment in time. And it was like a flash of lightning, right, that seems to cause time to stand still. In that moment, the Lord said to me, I will make you fishers of men. In many ways, my life flashed before my eyes. I realized that all that God had done for me, that he had saved me, that he was calling me into his work. I was reminded in that moment of the grace of God in the free gift of salvation that I had in Christ. I was reminded that I was to live as Christ would and serve God in each and every moment, even if things were hard or circumstances were miserable. Because God had saved me and he had redeemed me through the death and sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And now I have the resurrected life in me. My life was bought with his and he's called me to catch fish. Since that experience, I've sought to be shaped by and trained by the one who has called me so that I would successfully accomplish all that was in that invitation. I've grown in my understanding of God's grace and learned more of the depth of his undeserving gift through Christ. And I'm constantly engaging others to encourage them to know and understand God's gift of grace for them also. Brothers and sisters, I tell you this story to encourage you to follow the Lord. For the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. God has called each of you to understand the moment in time we are in. For the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. 
He's given you the free gift of God's grace through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I beg you, do not miss the voice of God calling you to walk with him. Repent of your sins. Turn from them and believe in the gospel. Allow God to transform you for his glory and the advancement of his kingdom. And then finally, learn from God about the call that he's placed upon your redeemed life to fish for others, to draw them into a new or deeper relationship with God. Please pray with me from the collect for the day. Give us grace, O Lord, to answer readily the call of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation, that we in the whole world may perceive the glory of his marvelous works, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.